Second Samuel chapter six. We're going to begin at verse twelve. Are you a dancer or are you a downer? I want you to think about that regarding yourself. Are you a dancer or are you a doubter? Second Samuel six, beginning at verse twelve. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obadidan and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obadidim to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sanctified an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meal, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. Verse 20. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. I have something to say to you. How many of you don't like to dance? Would you please raise your hand? Wow. Okay, a, a small minority. That means the rest of you who didn't raise your hand like to dance. Dancing is actually the highest emotion that is expressible by us over something that we're ecstatic about. Does the Bible teach dancing? Is there any dancing in the Bible? Where is the first reference to dancing in the Scriptures? When they crossed the Red Sea. And when they looked back on the Red Sea, they saw the enemies that had been destroyed under those waters that crashed down upon them. And Miriam, with all of the women, had gathered together and they were 
dancing and they were banging their timbrels or their tambourines in celebration. In Exodus 32, another occasion where there was dancing. For the wrong reason, they had built a molten calf and they said, these be our God. And they all were dancing around it. In Judges chapter 11, Jephthah, after he had had a great victory, his daughter comes out in celebration and is dancing before Jephthah. You remember that was a sad end to that story. In the first cha- uh, first Samuel 18, again we have, after the defeat of the Philistines, the woman came out of the city singing and dancing with joyful songs and musical instruments. Those are some of the ones that came to my mind in the Old Testament of dancing. How about in the New Testament? Do we have any references to dancing? Raise your hand if you think you have one. Whose daughter? Uh, when John the Baptist lost his head. Yes, there was a dancer there. Thank you. I think she was more of a uh, uh, belly dancer, so to speak, uh, according to our language. Um, I hadn't thought of that one. That's, you're right, though. The one I was thinking of in the New Testament, though, is when the prodigal had come back after years of wasting all of the money. He comes back. The father shows compassion, falls upon him. He is exhilarated that his son has returned. He desires to put on him a new robe, give him a ring, give him new feet, put on him this and get the lamb, get everything ready, and let's begin to celebrate. And the older brother was outside and wouldn't go in because it says he heard the dancing and the music going on. Dancing and music. There are occasions when there should be, and there are, great celebrations. Some of them rather minor, some of them rather quite big. We have celebrations over birthdays. We have uh, celebrations over anniversaries, wedding anniversaries and other kinds of anniversaries. Holy days, Christmas, Easter. How about July 4th? Great festivities take place during some of these. The Jews, too, have ways in which they would celebrate and reasons for it. And those of you that don't think you can dance, or those that do think they can, I don't want you to do any dancing particularly, but I want you to hear this, and and I'm going to challenge you that you are a dancer in the depths of your soul. Can you play that music, please? In the video with it, if you could. Loud enough for death. Have a Nagila. Let's celebrate. Have a Nagila. Have a Nagila. Have a Nagila. Have a Nagila.
pumped up a little bit. Um, even those of you that are real like potty poopers, that that even stirs you up. I mean, maybe your foot was tapping, maybe your fingers were snapping. Something going on inside of you. Now, just think of music like that with something to celebrate. Do you realize when that song came into existence? Let me give you a little background to that song. The words of it, first of all, are, Come, let us be glad. Rejoice. Arise, brethren, with a joyful heart. This song was composed in 1918. You know why? Because in 1917, there was what was called the, Belf, the Lord Balfour Declaration, which was a declaration by the British government that announced support for a national host or a home for the Jewish people in the land of Palestine. Because they took the land from the Ottoman Empire, they were now going to give it to the Jews, who were nomads for sure and were wanderers around the world. And the news came to the Jews all around the countries of the world that they had now a homeland that they could go to, their ancient homeland. So soon after that, this was composed, Hava Nagila. Come, let us be glad, rejoice, arise, brethren, with a joyful heart. And you know when the first time this was ever played? In 1918, in the city of Jerusalem. What an occasion to celebrate. Now, David's desire to want to bring the ark into the city was a monumental action on the part of David. David was restless. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest. His desire was to bring the ark into what was called now the city of David. And Jesus later in the New Testament tells us about Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king. So the great king, although he had the crown, he may have had the robes, he had been anointed by Samuel, by those in Hebron, and by those in Jerusalem in Judea, but he needs to see the ark in the city of David. He recognized that the first effort had failed for several reasons. First of all, it was wrongly transported. They put it on a new cart, just the way the Philistines transported the ark. And, unbeknownst to the driver, thought that after it was wiggling and about to tip over, thought he could, with his hand, touch it. And he was immediately struck down by really the holiness of God. Because God's purposes, God's means of how that was to be transported was violated. It says that David was greatly displeased. He was angry at God. That God had stalled and interfered with the progress of this ark coming back into the city of Jerusalem to its final resting place. The place where the Lord God had chosen to put his name. What a great desire David had. But the second effort is a better one. Why a second effort? Could something have been learned in the meantime? What could have been learned, of course, was that the ark was wrongly transported that it was not appropriate for the 
a lay driver to be touching that sacred object, God's holy character was definitely in evidence at that point. David was greatly displeased. This time, though, while the ark is in sort of hibernation in the house of Obadiah, it says that the house of Obadiah was blessed. We don't know how long it had been there, maybe for several years, but it was news that the house of Obadiah was blessed with the ark. And we said that the word ark and what it stands for is equivalent to the presence of the Lord. David wanted that ark in the city of David. That's where it belonged. That's where it should go. And he calls for it. But this time, there is more spiritual intelligence. The second, second effort to bring the ark to Jerusalem, he has behind him now. A death has occurred because of God's holiness. The host of Obadiah has been blessed. Think of our Lord Jesus for a moment, if we can make a parallel here. Jesus on the cross was taken by wicked hands, and God's holy judgment fell upon him. He was punished, and he died. After his death, though, there's a blessing that comes to the world of the Gentiles, the Obadiah, if you will, of the world. We receive the blessing. And now, ultimately, in the final course of things, the ark now goes to Jerusalem where the Jews can receive the blessing. There may be something there to consider. It tells us in Isaiah 59, 20, The Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob. Jesus, remember when he came in on the donkey into Jerusalem. There was a great celebration. They cast down the palms before him. There were shoutings, hallelujah, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. The true ark was coming into the city of the great King. We should be celebrating our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to challenge us today, and you and I individually, are we excited about the Lord? Does He excite you? If you're not excited about being saved, brought out of the horrible pits of hell's darkness that we were once in, and brought into the marvelous light of the grace of God, something's wrong with your spirituality. If being a Christian isn't something that is exciting to you, you are lacking something desperately. The true ark has come into our lives, praise the Lord. The ark created the fervor. In David, that he was exuberant over. How exuberant was he that it says he danced with all his might. He has the linen ephod on. Now that's a priestly garment. I suppose that he borrowed it. There's a reverence here that he seems to have in the second transportation of the ark that wasn't recognized in the first. As a matter of fact, when they go six 
steps. David stalls the progress and says, let us offer thanks unto the Lord. There was appreciation and gratitude that filled David's heart now. He's sensing the Lord's presence is with them, and he wants to give the Lord the praise. How excited are we about the Lord? What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all what? Your spirit, your soul, your strength, your mind, your body. Isn't that with all your might? He danced before the Lord with all his might or strength, some translations read. He put all of his energies into it. How excited are we about the Lord? I love the Lord. We say that. I love the Lord. That should be exciting. If you love your wife, you should be excited about her. If you love the Lord, you should be extremely excited about the relationship you have to the bridegroom as the bride of the bridegroom. He danced with all his might. It says that he was beside himself. Isn't that what it says about the Lord Jesus? His own family had said about him that he is beside himself. To Paul it was said, was it by Felix, I believe? You are mad. It's a similar expression. What we might use today, or at least what I, what we used to use in my day was, oh, he or she is out of their tree. Right? That expression like, wow, they're really far out. They're spaced out. They're a space shot, or, you know, they get a head case, or they're a basket case, or whatever. Well, that's what Mikkel is saying about David. You're a crazy man. Unfortunately, we have the downers there, as well as the dancers in this chapter. Those who think lowly of the ark will speak disparagingly of those that esteem it. David, this is his first wife, his wife that was given to him by Saul, if you remember. The one that he had gone out and got 200, not 100 that was required, but 200 foreskins to have her as his wife. That was what was the dowry. That was what was required of him from Saul. And yet here she is criticizing him. She's here called twice the daughter of Saul. Not the Not the wife of David, but the daughter of Saul. You know, when we get married, we join ourselves to our spouse. And we become one with them. We have to leave behind, not that we forget all that we learned in our our upbringing. We don't forget all of that, but we have to recognize the new relationship we have. Well, unfortunately, with... With Michal, it wasn't the case. Why did she have a critical eye towards David? I believe that it was the spirit of Saul, her father. The distaste that he had for David had fallen upon her. Yes, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And it says, she despised him in her heart. She should have been rejoicing right along with him. 
This is a great time for a festivity. The ark is coming into its resting place. It had been in private homes. It had been in Shiloh. It had been in Nob. But it had never arrived to the place where it ultimately is is supposed to be going. And that is to the city of truth. The city of the great king. And David is initiating that. Bringing that in. And he is so excited. The house of Obadiah has been blessed. I want to bring that ark into my city for it to reside here. But those who think lowly of the ark would think lowly of those that are praising the Lord, the presence of the Lord, which is what the ark represented. You know, Michal, it says that she looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing. Do you remember the window experience of the past? When Saul was out to kill David. And she said, he sent messengers and they sort of scouted the house. And the wife, Mikkel, was aware of this. And what did she do? She let him out of the window to be able to escape. Now she's looking out the window. Maybe the very window she had let David out before because she wanted to save his life. Now she's looking out the window with Despisal in her heart. What a turnaround. She sort of like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. When he wouldn't come inside. When he heard the music and the dancing that was going on. But there was no desire, no movement on his part to join in. Because the big banner over that party was... The grace of God is great. And the mercy of God, you could say, was what that was all about. The father receiving the son who was lost and now is found. Who was in a far off country and now is returned to the home. Well, she has that same kind of a spirit where she is despising those, and particularly her husband, who she said was doing this for a display before the woman. And he is just, he is just awestruck that she would even think that way. David had nothing like that on his mind whatsoever. He says, what I was doing, I was doing as unto the Lord. That's how it should be with us, right? Sometimes people are going to be critical of you because you're not the way they want you to be. But if you are for the Lord, remind yourself that whatever you're doing, you're doing as unto the Lord and not unto men. Paul says, if I be be beside myself, it is to God. In other words, there are occasions, and I say these are rare, it's not a common, uh, you could say, character that should mock us, But there are occasions when we should be, so to speak, in another zone. I think maybe that would be one way of describing David's behavior. He was exhilarated. He could have no other focus than the glory of God and the excitement of bringing that ark into the city of Jerusalem. You couldn't stop him. He was a human jumping jelly bean at this point. He's just... Super, super excited. We need to be in our God about making church 
into a Mikel environment as well. We need to be on God about making church into a funeral home of reverence on one hand and a Zumba class on the other hand. I think those are two legitimate extremes that we see on the spectrum, do we not? The pendulum on one end is that craziness of Zumba-ness and jumping up and down and uh, uh, disorder. And then there's the other one where everything has got to be prim and proper. You can't say amen in church. You can't raise your hand in church. Something's wrong, brothers and sisters. Can anybody give me an amen out there? Come on, brothers and sisters. we got to wake up. This is a... This is a short time we have on this earth. Let's be praising the Lord. And what better place is there to do that, that when the two or three are come together with Jesus in our midst, we gather round the board, though we are many, one in Christ, one body in the Lord. When Jesus came into the upper room and Thomas says, Wow, it's the Lord, my Lord and my God. The ark has come into the house. That's how we should feel when the Lord... People, us, get together, recognizing that where the two or three are gathered together in His name, there He is in the midst of them. Our gathering should be a combination of both joy, excitement, and also sobriety and gravity. Because sometimes you can forfeit one for the other, and you miss out on the combination of the two. Listen to what Jesus said. Luke 7, 32. We have piped unto you, and you have not what? Danced. We have mourned unto you, and you have not wept. Interesting. Dancing, we piped unto you. There should be that response to the piping of the Lord that we are hearing. That should stir us up in a way that we want to praise Him. Now, I know not everybody has the same emotional uh, exhibition as others may have. I, I must admit that I'm more of the outgoing, uh, jumping type. Uh, I was the first on the dance floor in my unsaved days. I, I confess that. Uh, I would dance when there wasn't even any music. I mean, certain things just hit me and I'm like, yeah, I'm fired up. And I know that some of you are like that. Others are not. Nevertheless, what the Lord, what does He want from us to love Him with all of our heart, our soul, our spirit, our strength? This is what David was doing. This is a great day in Israel's history right now. This is a great moment. Saul is dead. The enemy of the king has been put to death. Now the Hebronites and those in Jerusalem, the Jebusites, they're coming to anoint him as king. And he's king now in the city. But one thing is lacking. We need the presence of the Lord. I think sometimes people can hold church without the presence of the Lord. It's important that we recognize his attendance here. He is our primary focus In all things, Paul says, he must have the preeminence. You know, in 1 Corinthians 14, I think about this a lot too. I I always hear about the regulative principle of worship. And those who, who espouse it, and I'm not being too negative here, I hope. Those who espouse it make it sound like that the Bible teaches some sort of order for worship that's designated. 
If you go to 1 Corinthians 14, you find almost exclusively there spontaneity. If something comes into someone's heart, then they are, so to speak, at liberty to share that with the body of Christ. One may have a word, one may be silent, but this is the point I'm trying to bring out. It says, when you all prophesy and the church become together, and it says, we're judged by all, and I think everybody should be involved in the pulpit. We're all up here together. What I say should be what we're saying together, to one another, not me to you, not pulpit to pew, but all of us together are united in this. And my hopes are that I can be with you, so to speak, in, in your trenches, and you with me as well, uh, although I'm the one that prepared, I'm the one that is speaking, granted, but you and I are united in this. And that's why it says that those that come in, they hear the word, and it says, and so falling down on their face, they will worship God. They will fall on their face. Now that's definitely an expression of exuberance, of excitement, of emotion. That's loving the Lord with all of your heart. Boy, David sure exhibits that here. We need some indications of that as well in our life and how exuberant we are about the Lord. We should be able to throw up our hands and shout out a hearty amen. And likewise, fall on our faces, so to speak, with a reverential fear and awe of God. Now, Mikkel, poor Mikkel, um, suffered severe consequences from the Lord, not David. It says, and Mikkel, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. That's a robbery for a woman, especially in ancient days, to not have a child-bearing womb. And that's the judgment that God brings on her. I see Mikel as one who has a cynical spirit. I think we, we should have a constructively critical spirit. I don't think we should let everything go and anything goes. And I've been in churches in my circuit of travel where anything kind of goes. That's very wrong. But on the other hand, sometimes in certain churches it's just so meticulous that every single word, every single action is brought, up, brought under very severe scrutiny and everyone sort of feels handcuffed, paralyzed. No one wants to speak up. No one wants to like rejoice and be cheerful or show signs of that. Why is it that Reformed churches oftentimes are the dullest? And I've been to a lot of them and I say, I didn't get blessed in the worship. And I don't know that God was blessed. That's the primary thing in worship anyway. I just didn't sense it. My greatest desire for us collectively on Sunday is when we come together, that we're coming together to praise the Lord, that the roof will blow off because of the sweet savor of Christ that is ascending from the heart of all of God's people that are here. That can be, be, be produced in the songs that we sing, in the prayers that are offered, the words that are read in scriptures, and the words in the message that's preaching the word of God out of the scriptures. These all should stimulate within us an excitement about the Lord. So that when we go out of here, we are on cloud nine, if you will. And we want to take that spirit with us 
and carry it with us throughout the rest of the week and bring it back when we come together as well. Are you a dancer or are you a downer? The downers are the ones that are the critical ones, the ones that always have something negative. And I know sometimes people are prone to be an optimist or a pessimist. I think it better just be a realist. I think a little of each of, on, other, on each end is okay, but I think we need to be a realist. Yeah, we're Americans. We're in the 21st century. We're 2,000 years removed from the apostolic period and even more from David's period, a 1,000 years before that. But Scripture is written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages has come. So when we read the Word, we now need to transform what we read in the Scriptures to our generation, to our lives, to our time. And how does that apply to us? How does it apply to you and I in Sovereign Grace Chapel? Are we a dancer or are we a downer? Are we a Mikel or are we a David? With all his strength, the music, the music no doubt was a part of the celebration. I try to emphasize with Michael and our music team how important, and I think you all would agree, that oftentimes when you go away, you might get this much out of the sermon, if there's anything to get, depending on who's speaking, including me, of course. But what you do probably go away with maybe the most was what God rung in your heart when those songs were sung and that music was being played. I have heard that time and time again. And it's not that I, 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 I want to have an entertainment center. I don't think any of us want that. But what we want to do is we want to glorify God. And if I properly understand the lyrics and the desire that this church wants to have, I want to join in on that. I want to glorify God. I want to be a part of the praise team that's not just these folks, but all of us inclusive. This place, the windows, even though we have to shut them in the summertime because they're so fragile, the voices should be so loud and powerful that they can hear us at Walgreens next door in Dunkin' Donuts and even maybe Notre Dame across the street. Because we are excited people. That's what Christians should be. How can we not be? We were once dead in trespasses and sins. It says that we should show forth the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. If David had something to celebrate over, how much more we to be celebrating The Lord has come right into my life. I'm the new Jerusalem, so to speak. I'm the place where the ark has come in. The presence of the Lord is in me and is in you. You are the sanctuary of the Lord. And that's all day, all the time, everywhere. And I know we have ups and downs during the week, and some days we have a good day at church, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we bring in t- into church what we picked up the day before, the morning of, or whatever, and we seem to have it sort of be that wet rag over us that we just can't get into it. And we go out the way we came in, and, you know, you did your duty, you, you paid reverence to the Lord by coming and gathering on a Sunday with His people, but what did He really get from you? Oh, so what do we do with David dancing before the Lord with all of his might? I hope it's been kind of evident with you that um, 
we obviously don't have any examples in the New Testament in a church setting where there was dancing going on. Although I can't prove or say 100% that it would be wrong to be dancing in a certain setting in the church. That might come across kind of radically, I know. And I know some of you would love to have a dancing church uh, because you have that kind of uh, emotional makeup, maybe. Uh, but let's set that aside. I'm not trying to promote that at all. What I am trying to promote, though, is the spirit that David had. This rejuvenation. Think of it for all the chapters that we've been preaching on from 1 Samuel 16 right up to the beginning of 2 Samuel. We had David is haunted the whole time. He's miserable. He has nothing to rejoice of. He's got to hide in the cave. He's got to go to the to the uh, enemy's camp and, and pretend that he's a Philistine and join hands with the Philistines. He was a, a runaway, a vagabond. Even though he was anointed, he was not highly respected or esteemed. Now the pages have turned. It's a new day for him. This is now, he's getting back on his feet spiritually before the Lord. There's a a, a a removal of the old and a bringing in of the new. He's got the spirit of the anointing upon him. He's got now the crown on his head. He's got now the city that's being called the city of David. And now, ultimately, he's bringing in the ark of the covenant. We should be able to throw up our hands and shout out a hearty amen. And likewise, fall on our face in reverence and awe before God. If we can't, if we don't, what's wrong with us? I'm not going to crack the whip because I'm a part of the problem myself. Because I just want God to get more from us than, than what we maybe give Him. Don't you want to? Don't you want to? Just think of what it's going to be like when you're with the Lord. With Him. I mean... For most of us, it's such a remote thought. It's like, maybe I'll think about it, you know, when I'm in my 80s or 90s or when I'm on my sick bed. I may think of it, but it could happen in a moment of time. I don't know when the Lord's going to come. I don't know prophecy perfectly to be able to assure you that he's not going to come today, this year, next year. I wouldn't want to propagate that. I think we're always told to be ready. And you never know what a day may bring forth. Your time, my time may come to die. And then we're with the Lord. What will that be like? If David could dance before the ark, what kind of response will we have when the Lord Jesus is standing right there? Remember one of the preachers preaching in Ocean City had all of us, me, mesmerized when he said, just imagine, those doors are shut right now. Everybody just be quiet. Just think of this. Jesus walks through the door, comes down the aisle, and stands and turns in front of us. What kind of response would that draw from your heart? That's the test. What does the presence of the Lord mean to you? Are we excited? Do we want to dance before Him with all of our strength? I think our brother was quoting from the book of Revelation this morning about, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Your number one 
number one response to your, the salvation God has given you. Like the lepers that came back and fell down and said to the Lord Jesus, with a loud voice they glorified God. A loud voice, not just thank you Lord, a loud voice. We should be proud of our Lord and of the great mercy and grace that He has given to us that should stimulate in us a desire to want to come back like the lepers and say, Lord, I love you, I praise you, I fall at your feet, I rejoice before you, Almighty God. I dance, as it were, with all my might because of my excitement over your presence in my life. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus and for his death on Calvary's cross for sinners such as we. Lord, we praise your holy name today. Thank you for your forgiveness that you have offered to us. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you do desire us to be worshipers of you, Lord, and to have a spirit of joy, of excitement, enthusiasm, to worship and praise your most holy name. Oh, God, create in us, Father, a deeper desire for you, a greater love for you, Lord, that we often fail to have because we get caught up with the things of the world and with our own schedules and with our own uh, events that we have on our weekly schedules. Help us, O Lord, to stop and pause and to say, I want the ark. I want to bring the ark more closely to myself so that, Lord, I can offer praise and thanks to you. Hear our cry, Lord, in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.